Live from our man caves in Hawaii and Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem, Poopus, and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, boys. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to MLS Gone Wild. This is Blem. What's going on? It's your man Poopus again. Welcome to MLS Gone Wild. The second season coming up for you guys. We have a lot in store for you. Mike D here. How we doing? Really excited to get into this podcast, the start of a second season. Really um, looking forward to a lot that's to come with the MLS. We took this past week off to regroup in anticipation for the ever so anticipated MLS is back tournament and also to enjoy our 4th of July holiday. So thank you to all of our fans that have listened and supported us through our first 18 episodes through that first season, we had the honor of interviewing a bunch of players. So the players that we got the chance to interview, Brandon Eaton from Ford Madison, got some swag as well, got a, got a scarf, got a jersey, got the drip kit. Hayden Partain of San Antonio FC, he's been uh, crucial in helping us, um, you know, really lock down that Wake Forest market. Uh, Chris Duvall, another Demon Deacon uh, of the Portland Timbers, Kellen Acosta of the Rapids, Justin Mapp, ex-Montreal Impact and Chicago Fire legend, Alexi Lawless, US, U.S. Men's National Team legend and Fox Soccer analyst currently, Ja'Cory Hayes of Minnesota United FC, probably our most powerful podcast that we did speaking on the social injustice in this country and the murder of George Floyd. Um, and we also had Katie Stengel of the Houston Dash. They played two games and the NWSL Challenge Cup. They are sitting in second place overall out of the eight teams. One tie, one W. Katie Stingle's got an assist. Team's looking good. Rachel Bailey, she's the real deal. Uh, and most recently, we've had Charlie Joseph, New England Revolution legend, on our podcast. So if you guys want, please go back and listen to all of those previous interviews and just our regular episodes like tonight, where we just give you some analysis and preview some things. We can be heard on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, which is where we record, anywhere else you guys listen to podcasts. If you are listening on Apple, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, MLS Gone Wild. Search it. Also, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, MLS Gone Wild. Give us a, give us a follow. Give us a share. Give us some love. We, uh, we appreciate it all. So, if you guys can tell, I am super excited because we're recording tonight, Tuesday. Um, the MLS is back tournament starts tomorrow night. All teams are officially in the bubble, and we are now 22 and a half hours away from our first match, where Orlando and Miami will face off in their very first ever game against each other, embarking on a new rivalry in the MLS. Whether that's created by the MLS or, you know, geographical rivalry, we've got a new rivalry. First game back in the MLS's back tournament. Boys, how do you think Orlando and Miami is going to end up? So, for me doing a little bit of research, there hasn't been two teams in Florida to play since 2001. This is a huge opportunity. This is a huge time for Florida where opportunity for a derby exists. We've got a lot of derbies in the MLS, and I'm really excited to see how this game pans out. Inter-Miami came in hot in the beginning of the season where – they held LAFC to 1-0, and they, they showed signs of promise, and then COVID hit. And so I personally am super excited to see how this game pans out. It's going to be a huge rivalry. 
there's obviously a lot of things to think about, you know, no fans, the current situation in Orlando, the current situation with the MLS's back challenge and all the different cases and things of that nature. So there's a lot of emotion, I'm sure, that's going to play into this game, aside from the fact that it's a potential rivalry. I think it's going to be a hot game. That's all I know for a fact. Like, I think Orlando thinks you have it in the bag right now because, I mean, they've been talking so much shit already. So, I mean, you see all their fans and stuff. But I really think with the roster Inter-Miami has and their quality of play that we've seen the past two games, I think they're going to bring it. And they're, they're going to they're gonna put a whooping on Orlando for sure. Yeah, Poopa said it's going to be hot. Well, it's actually going to be very hot. They are playing in the hot. Well, not hot. It's going to be it's going to be nighttime there, but it's still going to be the uh, you know the warm weather of Orlando. But you know, you guys kind of gave your thoughts on the game. Give me a score prediction. I'm going to go ahead and say that this game is going to be a two-one Inter Miami. Well, shit, I was going to go two-one also, but I'll make it. I'll make it three-one Miami because I don't want to do the same thing as you, Mike D. So. I think it's going to be a tight game. I think that both sides are going to come ready to play just because it's the first time since 2001 that we've got an intra-Florida matchup. Obviously, in in my personal opinion, Orlando hasn't really come to show that they are uh, the greatest team. (laughs) Uh, They finished at the bottom of of their their side of the the conference for the past three years. So I'm excited for for Inter-Miami to see what they can show against this uh, this Orlando team. Orlando has the best player in that game with Nani. So we'll see if Nani can't take that game over. For me, I'm going 4-2 Inter-Miami. I want goals. First game back, I want goals. Absolutely. Who doesn't? I mean, fired up. MLS is back. Second league in America to come back to, to primetime television. Uh, obviously, the EPL came back and, and other leagues around the world you know, shout out to Liverpool, 30 years, winning their uh, their EPL, their uh, their cup. I know, shaking your head. But, yeah, super excited. And, you know, I think even though Inter-Miami is, is a expansion team, they've got a lot of veterans that have come to that team. So I'm excited. Yeah, shout out to our boy, Will Trapp, ex-Columbus crew player. Hopefully he can anchor that midfield. Um, you know, I talked about wanting goals. I predicted six goals, Inter-Miami with four, Orlando with two. One of uh, one player that is going to be missing not only this game, but this tournament for Inter-Miami is their first overall pick in the MLS draft this past year, Robbie Robinson. Um, they're going to be missing that, and he's a huge piece. I know we only had, you know, we've only seen him play in two games in his very early career, but we saw him record an assist. Pizarro has a huge price tag on his head. The amount of money that he's worth shows that he should be able to carry this team through the tournament, not only through this tournament, but through at least through this first group stage, which is going to be tough enough. Do you guys think Pizarro can carry that load and carry them into the knockout stages? I think they have – not just Pizarro, but I think they have plenty of people on the bench that they can actually depend on and on the field, honestly. Because, I mean, look, Rex Chase healthy. I think he's going to have a breakout tournament right coming up. MLS is back. I think he's actually going to do some shit in this game and the games like upon the first one. And I mean, you have Luis Argudo. I mean, he, he's on the bench, but the man was dirty with the crew. His last season with the crew, 
He he was quick, and he had the vision like no other. And then, I mean, yeah, leading the win, which, I mean, he has plenty, plenty of success in the MLS with the New England Revolution. So I think he's going to, he's going to, I think they're going to pull it through. And it's just not going to just depend on Pizarro at all. Yeah, and they have a really good defensive line, too, in addition to all the players that they have back there. They also have LGP, former Atlanta, uh, you know, center back. I think he was a center back. He, he was one of the defenders. But I don't think he is available for this tournament, but that is a notable signing for when the season, you know, resumes after this tournament. Yeah, going back to the, the veterans, I mean, you got – in goal, I mean, Luis Robles, you've, you've got outside back Ben Sweat, you've got Roman Torres, you've got Will Trapp, obviously, in the midfield. And then I think, you know, with the absence of, of Robbie Robinson, you have Rodolfo Pizarro, who needs to carry that load. And there's something to be said about when someone is absent from a team, somebody has to step up. And, and I, think, I think Pizarro is going to be that guy. Yeah, I hope so. I would love to see Miami, you know, at least make it through to the knockout stages. It's it's going to be competitive in that group. You have you have the Phillies, you have Chicago's, you have NYCFC, and then you have those two expansion teams. So I think that group is going to be very exciting to watch. And, you know, at least from what we all said, I think we all just picked Miami. I, it would be great to see Miami make it through out of that group. And we, like D, you talked about it for a quick second about, you know, them losing to LAFC. But you know, they, unfortunately, they lost both games, but they, you know, they lost LAFC in LA, and then they lost NDC as well after a Roman Torres red card, and, you know, they, they had a goal called back, and then right after that, Roman Torres got his red, and then they scored a goal, and I think they lost two to one that game, that was after Pizarro scored his, you know, he opened his MLS account, so they've been unlucky, they've been tested in two games, they have veterans, they could be the surprise of the tournament, and, Honestly, I hope they're entertaining tomorrow night, and I really can't wait to sit down, probably talk to you guys, drink some claw, and watch that game. Oh, we all can't wait for the MLS to get back tomorrow. So even though it sucks there's only one game coming back tomorrow because Nashville and Chicago got postponed, but we're still excited for that, for that one game tomorrow to start the season again. So since arriving in the bubble, five Nashville players have tested positive and four are getting tested or, or further, they're getting further testing due to initial results coming back inconclusive. And on top of that, they haven't even practiced since last Tuesday. So something I saw Taylor Twelman talk about was the fact that if a team has to be there a week before they can play because they have to go through the initial quarantine process and what have you, um, so, and they also need time to practice. So if Nashville not practicing since last Tuesday. It would have been eight days between the last time they practiced and game time. Um, so that game is being postponed. On top of the Nashville news that we just that I just uh, gave you all, FC Dallas, their game was initially postponed, their very first game. Um, Ten COVID positive tests later, they have been withdrawn from the MLS is back tournament. Um, like I said, after 10 players tested positive. So, question for you guys. It seems a little weird, just to give listeners a background and anybody who doesn't quite understand, the way it's made up, Group A has six, six teams. Every other group has four. So, Group B, 
Group B was made up of FC Dallas, Vancouver, Vancouver, and a couple of other teams. Those first three games in everybody's group stage, they're supposed to count for the restart of the season once that happens. And that counts for your regular season points that goes towards you making the playoffs or not. So for teams that are withdrawn from the MLS's back tournament, like Dallas, we might see Nashville withdrawn. Um, there's there's going to be further development, and we'll continue to report on those. But what do you guys think happens with those teams that get withdrawn from the tournament and they don't get to rack up any points for their regular season? What do we do with those teams? How does that work? Because it doesn't seem fair. I think they get zero points. I think that post-tournament, if they're going to be giving out points based on your wins from this tournament, I think that those teams that are withdrawn, they, they have to come in fresh. They come in with zero points. And, I mean, it's like you said, it's not fair for them to come in with any sort of advantage for not doing anything. I mean, I agree because, I mean, pretty much like you're usually excluding from the MLS playoffs, honestly. Like, don't let any of their, like, I mean, when they come back, all right, if they're resuming the season right after this whole COVID tournament cup, okay, like, it's fine. But, I mean, just excluding from the tournament or the ML actual MLS playoffs, if you're just going to keep on going because, I mean, it's pretty much on them that they pretty much suffered this, the whole 10 player players that tested positive on their behalf. Right. It's, it's yeah. another thing to think about, too, is – Everybody that's in the bubble that's getting ready to play, emotions are high. Focus is on. Everybody's preparing for the tournament. FC Dallas obviously has their, their challenges to deal with going back home, but the pressure's off. They get to go back home. They get to start rehabbing. They get to start mentally preparing for what's to come next. And I think that there's an, an advantage there. There's a competitive advantage to be, to be spoken for. So there's also a level of fairness that we have to take in, into regard. I know that this tournament, you know, if you win it, there's a million dollar, you know, million dollar pot on the line. There's a, a spot for the CONCACAF Champions League um, spot next year. But this is just something that just popped into my head. What if we just, what if we take these other three teams that are in Group B with FC Dallas and we have them play them in the regular season when everything resumes? So they so it can be fair. They still get those three games despite them not being in the tournament, but they still count for the same thing. What do you guys think about that? I don't think that's a bad idea. So what you're saying is that the teams that they were supposed to play in the tournament, they come in fresh with no points and play them like they would play them in the tournament. I think that that's another alternative. I mean, that would obviously have some some things to be worked out with the scheduling if it's if there's any sort of scheduling being set obviously we don't know much about what's going to happen post-tournament but I don't think that that's a bad idea either yeah they'll definitely have to work out schedules they're gonna have to postpone games but obviously the MLS doesn't have a problem with that they're doing it right now so you know postponing games to make that format work and to make it as fair as possible I think that's the you know everybody's got money in this thing Everybody, uh, all these teams have money in this thing. So making it fair is the most important thing possible, to be honest with you. So I think them adding on those three games later for any teams that are withdrawn, either, you know, that they choose to withdraw themselves or if the MLS withdraws them due to safety precautions, I think that they deserve at least those games that they were, that they missed during the, the group stage. Or honestly, or you just don't count any of these games towards the actual season, to be honest. 
Just keep it, just keep it towards the wins and losses t- for the tournament. That way, it makes it even for everybody. Straight turn. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's not. It's it's not very highly incentivized, though. At that point, to be honest with you, you know, the more incentives they have, I think, the more motivated players are to play. I talked about it a little bit in the blog with uh, MLS Aces. Shout out to them for bringing us on. Um, but you know, soccer is soccer, and any you know, we're all we all play soccer. So you know, if we get an opportunity, we want to play. And you especially want to play in a tournament like this. Like, you know, if, if COVID wasn't happening, this is like, oh, hell yeah. Like, I want to go play a preseason tournament down in Disney. Yeah, absolutely. But with all of this going on, you know, you have to weigh risk and reward. And, you know, you have the million-dollar pot on the line. And you get that only if you win the whole thing. You only get the the CONCACAF Champions League berth if you win the whole thing. All right, so what if I win one or two games in the group, but I don't make it through? Like, I'll still take my six points and be one step closer to the playoffs. So the more incentives they have for this tournament, I think the better. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, but, I mean, if you're going to give – if you're going to make – like, give the other teams that, like, pull out of the tournament and make up for the, for the wins and losses, then what's the point of actually, you know, make them wins and losses count in this tournament? Yeah, your, your logic's not flawed. I think that that's not a bad idea. However, to Blake's point, it's exactly that. You know, teams that may not have performed so well or may not perform so well in this tournament are going to walk away with at least, you know, at least something. You know, there's the money that's on the line and there's the, the CONCACAF berth that's on the line. But for anybody else that's gotten a W or two Ws that doesn't make it that far, they're like, well, where's our motivation? So I think that while it's a good idea, it's a good point, you want to you incentivize the players. You want to get them to stay motivated. You want them to stay focused so that we have a good tournament. Yeah, I mean, I understand that part. It's just like, I mean, if you're going to do that, then why, you know, I'll put it towards anything at this point. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I still go back and I – you know, there's going to be teams in the Western Conference that's, you know, specifically from the Western Conference because that's what we're talking about um, because we're talking about FC Dallas. But there's going to be teams like potentially LAFC, um, Sporting Kansas City in the Western Conference that walk away with, you know, there could be teams in the Western Conference that walk away with seven to nine points. And if you're FC Dallas and you don't get to you're, – you're already two to three games behind the ball and it's – I understand what you're saying. Poopas don't make any of the games count, but at this point, they've already said they're going to make them count. So I think at this point, they just have to make an adjustment. And I really hadn't even thought about it until then, but I think it's a very easy adjustment. It's just going to have to be a a schedule change um, for the FC Dallas and, you know, for any other teams, potentially Nashville. Yeah. It goes back to that fairness that you were talking about. You know, if, if they decide to switch up now, FC Dallas going home with zero points, all these teams that could walk away with the amount of points that you, you mentioned, they're going to be on the same playing field as FC Dallas. And they went to this tournament and went through all this struggle with being exposed to COVID and all that while FC Dallas goes home and prepares for what's to come. So it definitely goes back to that fairness aspect of things. Right. Right. And so since we were just talking about group B a little bit, you know, we're talking about FC Dallas, we're talking about um, Vancouver, so I broke down how the groups worked a little bit earlier. Group A, like I said, has six. Every other group has four. Okay, fine. Makes, I struggled with it in the beginning, but I'm okay with it now. 
now the FC Dallas has been withdrawn from the tournament, Group B only has three teams. Who do we move in? Do we move a team in there? It goes back to the fairness thing. How does this work with only three teams now being in Group B? I mean, you might as well move Nashville in there. Honestly, I mean, you already postponed their game for for tomorrow. I mean, they're not going to be playing at all. So why not just move them there to make it easier on, on everybody? But I know a lot of people will actually want Nashville to be out of the tournament because, like, all the positive testing that they've had to, like, consume. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it only makes sense for me. I mean, we talked about it a little bit prior to the podcast. It only makes sense for me that Nashville goes to Group B just to evil, even – those groups out because Nashville came from the Western Conference to be in the Eastern Conference due to health concerns and proximity. And so if that's the case, they're the, in my eyes, the team that you would select to move over there. Yeah. And I think I I also agree that Nashville is the team to move over there. You know, like Mike D just said, they moved from the West to the East um, the numbers weren't a factor, but it was the idea of restarting the season after all of this and proximity. So Nashville didn't have to travel to Colorado and L.A. and right. uh, Real Salt Lake and all those teams. So I think that definitely comes comes to play. But, you know, other than Nashville, I, I, it doesn't really matter who you move in there, to be honest with you. They, I, they are the most ideal pick, I think. But at the same time, like, it's not like, I mean, all these teams are in one place. You know, they'll have to switch up schemes and, you know, you know, not, not necessarily scouting, but they'll, the game plans will have to change. It's not like teams are going to have to move somewhere to play games. Like, they're all right there. So you can throw any team in there. And if you're a good team, you're going to adjust. So really, ideally, any team could move into, the, in, into Group B. But I think Nashville is, I want to say the ideal one, but with all of these COVID positive tests, five of them and four still being out for um, inconclusiveness, I think that's the word. Um, We may say Nashville, and, you know, I I think that, you know, the tournament starts tomorrow, and I think the MLS and Don Garber could be hesitant because I have a feeling they probably do want Nashville to be that team that moves into that group to even up the groups. But at the same time, like we just saw what happened with FC Dallas and they had to be withdrawn. So I think that they're honestly waiting to see what these other four tests come back to look like before they make some other decision. And honestly, I won't have a problem if Nashville is withdrawn from the tournament. Same, you know, they can do the same thing as FC Dallas in my eyes, play those three games at a later time, um, you know, outside of the tournament in the regular season. but player safety needs to be prioritized. And if you've got nine to 10 guys, like you just, first of all, your whole half your first team and some of your benches washed through um, in quarantine. So you're going to be playing, you know, your guys you just pulled up from USL teams and from your academies. So, you know, player safety in this regards, you know, kudos to the MLS for, you know, getting at, well, I don't think FC Dallas is actually gone yet. I think, from what I've seen, so FC Dallas has been withdrawn from the tournament, but I think they're actually still there because they have to eventually test negative before leaving to then um, be reintroduced into their communities or into their cities or what have you. So if the same happens with Nashville, um, I'll stand behind it. I'll stand behind whatever is 
bettering player safety and, and health in this regard. Yeah. I think you, you kind of brought up an interesting point that sparked a question in my mind, which is, let's say Nashville gets pulled. If Nashville, Nashville gets pulled, Group A still has five. Group B still has three. Does someone else from Group A go? And if so, who did you guys think? I mean, that's the other team that Nashville's playing, Chicago. They're not going to play a game yet, so you might as well move them over. Yeah. Chicago is the most Western team outside of Nashville in that conference. Yeah. So, and that too. But, but to be honest with you, to be honest with you, um, if, if Nashville does leave, that will knock the tournament down to 24 teams. That's a, that's a pretty good number if you ask me. Right. 24, 24 is pretty much a perfect number. Um, so if, if they can get it down to 24, it, it, which sucks. I mean, we're doing this the day before the pod, not the podcast, but the, the tournament comes back. So MLS, I don't want to say they bit off more than, than they can chew, but there's just a lot of moving pieces. And, you know, us talking right now, the more that we talk, the more I see, the more moving pieces are, you know, going with this continually and you don't want to have to continue to restructure a tournament because it loses its validity at that point. Like, absolutely. So, you, you know, you have to be really careful about the moves that you make. And uh, I, I think restructuring after the tournament starts is going to be impossible. But if you're, if you're Don Garber, you should expect this, especially with the whole COVID thing. Like you saw with the NWSL that Orlando pulled out of that. You should expect teams. I mean, yeah, you don't want it. But you should expect teams to pull out if necessary to, according to, like, this whole COVID-19 stuff. Like, if a whole team tests positive, then, I mean, you're not going to want to keep them there. So you should be ready for a team to pull out and then just have, you know, you should have a schedule set up where if this happens, then you have this set up already in line to make it, yeah. to make it even with the whole tournament. Yeah. It's really hard, obviously, not knowing what team from any given group could be testing positive. But as we near closer to the tournament, obviously, we've seen those things happen. But, you, I mean, you're right. Restructuring the tournament at this point, it it's, it's, sounds impossible. You know, it sounds impossible with the games approaching, all the moving parts and pieces. It's, you, I mean, you said it. You said you didn't want to say that the MLS bit off more than they can chew, but I mean, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah, I, I think feels, so, too. Part of me feels like maybe they should have, like Poopa said, paid a little bit more attention to the NWSL and anticipated some of these things. Obviously, going to Orlando, Florida, which is a hot spot, not figuratively, you know, figuratively and literally, it's just something makes you think in the back of your mind, maybe could they have done a little bit better. Yeah, one thing that I'm pondering over right now while I listen to you guys talk is, you know, looking at the NWSL. And I, I know you guys said they should have looked at them. They had to have looked at the NWSL. They had to have looked at the Bundesliga. They had to have looked at the EP. You know, and to be honest with you, you know, some of the protocols and stuff they did, I mean, their players are getting tested right before, or, you know, a day before they left. Players are getting tested as soon as they get there. They're quarantining for 12 hours and eating shitty meals in their hotel rooms. 
for those first 12 hours that we've seen all over social media. Hopefully they're eating better after that. Um, but to the MLS's defense, these players aren't testing positive before they get on planes to fly to Orlando. Yeah. You know, and the actual how long it takes you to test positive, it, it, it fluctuates. I don't know from day to day, you know, five to 14 days or whatever it is. But these players aren't testing positive before they leave because if they test positive before they leave, they're not leaving. I know a couple of days ago, Nashville, Nashville arrived in Orlando on last Friday, I believe. Yeah. And before they actually left initially, they were going to leave on Thursday. And they were on the runway and they were told to basically get off the plane because there were inconclusive tests at that point. But Don Garber wanted everybody in the bubble, like at least seven days before their first match to ensure that everybody, you know, was safe and was healthy and was COVID negative before stepping on the field. But like I said, to MLS's defense, these players aren't testing positive before they leave. It just so happens that, you know, and I don't know what this attributes to, they're testing positive after they're already in the bubble. So, you know, how well they're quarantining while they're they're in the bubble while they're in Orlando is is very important right now. But I don't know where this you know, like I said, I don't know the complete science behind COVID. I don't know the you know amount of days before you start testing positive. But you know, to their defense, they are testing negative before they come. Well, I mean, those those national players they arrive and then test positive right after they did arrive in or in Orlando. So. Yeah. I know, but according to according to everything I've seen, they tested negative before they left. Yeah, and I've and, and same with the crew player. You know, the crew players have been there for five days. Same with the Minnesota player. You know, the crew in Minnesota both have one player apiece that tested positive, and you know they five days after they they land in the bubble, somehow they're positive. So it's FC Dallas's fault. I mean, even – I mean, Bradley Wright Phillips even came out of the standings. He was like, I think this whole tournament is stupid pretty much, and the MLS should not restart right now. But, you know, Don Garber is just a money – Mr. Moneybags anyway, so he's the one that makes that money. They, you know, furthermore, his whole league of, of MLS. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, that man just cares about the money. I saw to that. Give you, to give you guys that full quote from Bradley Wright Phillips um, – he said, I don't really care how I come across here because it's no secret to me. I just think it's a little bit stupid, if I'm being honest. Go ahead, Bradley Wright. I just think we could have waited like the rest of the leagues and you train until you're able to play, and that's it. You've taken us all to a place now in a bubble where you got to stay in your room, away from your families. You know, some people got some real, some real-life issues, you know, to deal with, and you just got to go and leave your family for how long, you know? But I guess but they're not sitting but, in the room. They're, they're playing golf. They're swimming. Says, Poopus, hold on. Last line. But I guess money talks, my friend. And exactly, because Don Garber, all he cares about is money. He does not give two shits about the players at all. He wants to bring in that money to make his league better, and that's all he cares about. And BWP also went on further down in that, that article to talk about the fact that all he's doing is training 
and playing Call of Duty, and he's staying in his room. He's not going out and socializing. Pupis was getting ready to just touch on it a little bit. These players are, are, are obviously quarantined, but they're still allowed to go out and play golf. They're still allowed to go out during the pool. They have lounges on their floors where they can go and play games with each other, obviously wearing masks and, and social distancing, I think. But it's, it's, if you're going to quarantine and if you really want to be safe, you've really got to completely isolate yourself in a way that it's not even possible. Obviously, it's possible, but Bradley Wright Phillips making the statement that he's going to stay in his room and, and do nothing pretty much, and he's going to go out and train. He's limiting himself to training. That's the most exposure he's going to get, which when we're talking about prevention, you want to limit the amount of exposure that you have. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we saw Cristobal, shout out to Cristobal with his nasty left hand on the ping pong table. I know, I know Derek Etienne of the Columbus crew was a little bit shocked about that. I, I guess when they were at New York together, Cristobal wasn't very, wasn't very good at, at ping pong. But yeah, these, you know, these guys are also going golfing or they're swimming in the pool. Uh, they're playing that, I don't even know what it's called, soccer game that kind of that's played on the curved ping pong table, whatever that is that I'm probably terrible at. Um, you know, but also I want to talk about not talk about, but Bill Hamid issued a statement. I mentioned it to, to Katie Stengel when we interviewed her that Bill Hamid expressed his concerns pre-tournament, basically saying that, you know, he didn't want to go to this bubble and feel like a prisoner. And he doesn't want to be stuck in his room. You know, he, and I understand that from a player's perspective, like we've all been to soccer tournaments. I've been to Orlando. I've, I've played in Disney wide world of sports and there is a plethora of things to do. And, yeah, I know you're a professional athlete and you got big paychecks on the line. So, you know, you, you got you, you to do what you got to do to collect a paycheck and get on the field and do your thing. But at the same time, like, you don't want to. You feel, you feel, like, you're, you feel like you're a prisoner there. So I understand these players wanting to, you know, take advantage of the most – the maximum amount of freedom as they can. And, you know, I, I would go ahead and – I want to assume that the MLS is taking precautions that, you know, the Columbus crew in Chicago fire aren't out there, um, you know, kicking the soccer ball around playing ping pong together. Like it's specifically their teams. Um, I don't know if they're limiting the amount of like players that are allowed to be together from a specific team, but you know, they're not completely quarantined, but they're isolated specific to their team. Yeah. Yeah, I just really I'd like to know. I mean, we tried obviously prior to this week's episode to land someone to come on the show and give us some of the insights. Part of me feels like while we've seen some players go and do interviews, they may be getting advised not to do so, but you can see in some of these players' tweets and some of these players' comments and interviews that they've done there seems to be something else going on here, or it seems that way at least. CJ Sapong came out and, and tweeted something kind of similar. You know, I, didn't, I don't have the, the tweet up to, to quote it, but essentially it stated that, you know, if you guys really knew what was going on here, um, you, might, you might be surprised. At least that's what I gathered from it. 
Uh, and anybody listening, you guys do not understand how many players that we hit up this week. We we tried anybody, everybody. <laughs> um, Bryce Duke, if you're listening, Bryce Duke, if you're listening from LAFC. Uh, we we you know we potentially had Bryce Duke locked down for last week, and then there was just a lot of schedule conflicts. Um, so I, he probably felt like we were dragging him around and you know pulling him around just to try to get him on an interview. So Bryce, if you're listening, we're sorry. We would love to interview you down the line. But, yeah, we really wanted to bring on C.J. Sapong and any other player that was, you know, very outspoken. Matt Lampson, backup goalkeeper for the Columbus crew. He has a pre-existing health condition. He was pretty outspoken. He spoke alongside C.J. Sapong on Twitter. Um, we tried to bring him on. But, you know, like Mike D said, I think there's probably the MLS is doing some advising to be careful who you guys talk to because we've already seen Don Garber doesn't like people uh, leaking leaking info, so <laughs> you know if MLS don't allow oh, us, Don be, Garber. Hey man, if we if we got to earn our name, this is how we'll earn it. We would love to leak some info. So CJ, if you're willing to talk, man, hit us up. We're men of the people, ladies and gentlemen. We're men of the people. That's for sure. All right. So <laughs> while we're while we're on this topic, guys, you know we've Mike D talked about Liverpool earlier. You know I. He's going to bring it up every podcast until I'm dead, probably. 30 years um, is a long time, man. Yeah. So he brought up the EPL and how successful we've seen the EPL's comeback be. You know, just as successful, if not more successful, I'm not really not sure, as, as the Bundesliga. EPL just released their 11th round COVID testing results yesterday. Only one player tested positive. I'm not sure which player, which team, but that's the third week in a row that only one player has tested positive. So in a month's span of testing, they've done 11 rounds of testing or so, and only seven players have tested positive. I don't know how many of those, I don't know how many of those players that tested positive are repeat players or what have you, but in that month, only seven. As opposed to the MLS from my birthday, June 28th, happy birthday, Blem, I'm 27. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, you guys can sing me. You guys can sing me happy. You guys want to sing me happy birthday or no? Now we do. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. All right, so so from June twenty eighth to <laughs> from June twenty eighth to July fourth, the MLS had thirteen positive cases, and since then we've seen at least five more with Nashville. What do you guys think is being done so differently? And not only the Bundesliga and the EPL, as opposed to, you know, what we've seen just pre-tournament with MLS's back. Well, from what I was reading, the English government really has a say in how this, the EPL season was going, too. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like the United States is a little bit more lenient on how everybody is interacting with this whole COVID thing. I feel like it's a little bit more... I'm going to say, like, less restrictions than what maybe, like, England has with their with their country. Because I feel like, I don't know, like, the bars opened back up really quick. Everybody was, like, pretty much allowed to do whatever they wanted. But, yeah, I mean, so, some places they required masks and stuff. But I feel like the United States was a little bit more open to just opening up the country and pretty much bettering their economy than what the English government had going for, like, the EPL or even 
their own their own town and stuff. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think it comes down to kind of the same thing that Poop has said. I think that, in my personal opinion, after reading some articles and doing some research, obviously the MLS is not one of the the premier sports in terms of viewership, in terms of a following as some of the other sports in America. So there may have been more of a rush to get back, obviously to capture some of those primetime spots on television to get those viewers, to get the, the fans. Obviously everybody wants sports to come back in America and we've seen it with NWSL and now MLS is going to be the second. So of course there's going to be a boost in viewership, but I think that that's, essentially part of the problem you look back on i read a i read an article where a quote from from fifth pro was mentioned and they said this which i thought was really powerful quote are we sending the right message to society and this is to back up a little bit this is to speak to sports coming back even though the restrictions on the world essentially are what they are being going from what seems to be something promising and then especially in America going back to phase two and phase one in some areas. So to go back to the, the quote, it's quote, are we sending the right message to society and are we encouraging a healthy return to normal life or are we sending a bad signal that football has different rules to the rest of the world? And I think that that quote right there kind of sums up the difference between other leagues in the world, specifically, you know, in, in Europe and in, in, in Germany to America. And like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to actually, I'm going to go to that each, each club actually had to establish a security plan to ensure like the safest environment for these players and staff through, through their government alone. So, I mean, that's saying a lot right there. They have to go through the government to actually get cleared to actually have these games played and for the EPLC to go through. Yeah, I think ultimately with the government and not only England, but in Germany being involved, I think that has to go right along with, you know, the culture that's created, the soccer culture that's created in those two countries and, you know, how financially beneficial it is for those countries for those two leagues to open up. So I think the government has to be heavily involved not saying that the government isn't, at least at the local, in a local um, regard, in the MLS, you know, the cities such as Columbus or, or DC, you know, their rulings on whether or not they can do, you know, just individual trainings or small group trainings and when they can finally go back to, you know, full side trainings. That has a lot to do with the local jurisdiction and what they decide and what their rulings are based on. Um, the health experts and their recommendations. So I think on a local spectrum, I think that's where the MLS is involved with the, the local government, but from a greater, uh, from a bigger, you know, a bigger standpoint, I think the actual national governments in Germany and England were far more involved just due to the financial aspect of what soccer does for their country and how how involved it is and how embedded it is into their culture i mean we just say this that don garber is the owner of the mls and he's actually the owner of the whole government system in florida right now running this whole this guy MLS tournament. Garber. 
hates him. Guy hates Don Garber, but Blake, I think that's <laughs> well put. And I think you're, I think you're spot on with that. I think that just like you said, the the national governments are are far more involved. Just you know than they are here. And I think that was really well put. Yeah. And another thing that you had mentioned, Mike Delaney, was that, that we've, you know, we've, we touched on on previous podcasts and we've always kind of questioned it, but with the MLS coming back shortly after the NWSL, shout out to the NWSL. Um, they were the first professional sport back here in America, but with you know, the MLS, they're constantly looking for ways to hit new markets, to bring in new fans. Soccer's always been a little bit second fiddle in America. You know, everybody wants football. Everybody wants basketball. MLS is every – all 25, well, currently 26, including Dallas, all teams are in Orlando. But at the end of the month, the NBA is coming to Orlando. So MLS has a little bit less than a month to really capitalize on all of these – you know, these 9.30 a.m. time slots and these p.m. time slots. So I think that, and, and we've talked about this, so the MLS really just needs to take advantage of the opportunity that they have here. And I think that, you know, one of the whys of this tournament is to not only grow the fan base, but it's also to bolster the TV deals that they have with ESPN uh, because every game is basically going to be on ESPN. So... You know, that's that's a big part of this. So they, they really need to take advantage of it. They need to show ESPN that MLS needs to be on ESPN more often and with primetime time slots right alongside of the NBA and the other big sports leagues here in America. And we'll see how it goes tomorrow for the opening match. So I'm hoping for the best, though. Cross my fingers. It turns out really good for the MLS. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see what it looks like. I, I actually had a, I had a dream about this the other night and it was it it was the players playing on the field but like it they made it like they projected some kind of hologram or something some on some led screen that made it look like there was a stadium around it um i mean i, I mean it is the wonderful world of disney there it's a little magical kingdom action could happen anytime so that's right look boots right there <laughs> yeah one thing that could hurt viewership is star players not showing up so vancouver today uh vancouver today released five players that weren't going to be attending the tournament due to you know um pre-existing health conditions wives being pregnant you name it whatever that exemption list is from the mls is back tournament they all fit this criteria so lucas cavallini freddie montero I'm not going to try to pronounce pronounce that guy's name. Toussaint Ricketts and, you know, most notably, Freddie Montero. You know, those are just the Vancouver guys. I wish Vancouver the best of luck with those guys. I'm really not even sure how well Vancouver would have done, to be honest with you. But best of luck to Vancouver. So, speaking of those guys not being there, more notably, you have Carlos Vela for LAFC. Not going. His wife is pregnant. Robbie Robinson for Inter-Miami. Personal matters. Ike Opara, Minnesota United FC defender turned attacker because he's got like two or three goals in the first two games of the season. Um, he's not attending due to a pre-existing health condition. And Jonathan Dos Santos, the rock in LA Galaxy's midfield. How hey, do you I mean, guys that, how do you guys that think that? Probably... How do you guys ahead, think how do you guys think that affects viewership and how it affects their their teams individually? 
I mean, Jonathan Dos Santos probably had a fuck, had a meeting with, you know, that girl that turned out to be naked in all his pictures that he posted. So we'll put it that way. So that's probably why that man's gone. So, you know. Yeah, Don Garber didn't want him sneaking more girls into his hotel room. <laughs> since, all right, so since Poopas hit Jonathan Dos Santos first, you know, we've been highly critical of Chicharito through his, you know, very short career here in the MLS. He also lost Alexander Katai outright for him. Yeah, they have other, you know, weapons, Pavone, Lejet. Um, what do you guys make of the Galaxy without Jonathan Dos Santos, their rock in the midfield? I think it's going to be tough. I think Chicharito has to show up at some point. It's, it's what we've all been waiting for. And no time like the present. So I'm really hoping that we get to see a little bit of the Chicharito, Chicharito excuse me, of the past. But, you know, losing a key player like Alexander Katai also takes a hit additionally, obviously, to Dos Santos. So uh, I don't know how to feel. I don't know how to feel. I would love to say that, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic, but if I'm being quite honest, I'm really kind of basing it all right now off of Chicharito because just like we talked about with Inter, Miami that is, somebody's got to step up. And while I feel Inter Miami has a little bit more to bring to the table, LA seems a little broken right now. So. Yeah. Well, that's just one LA team. You know, Chicharito's a huge name, but even bigger, Carlos Vela being out. Huge. 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 Big. Giant. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think Carlos Vela not playing in this tournament does to LAFC and their chances to not only get out of the group, but which I think they'll get out of the group, um, but, you know, to be contenders in this tournament? I mean, without a doubt, they're going to make it out of the group. I mean, they're going to take out Tropico and then destroy LA Galaxy, too. Like, I mean, I know Bradley Larry, Bright Phillips and Diamande, they're coming off injuries. So, from what, Bra or from what Bob Bradley was saying, that they're going to – he's going to still play Diamande and Bradley Bright Phillips, but they're going to be coming off the bench. I mean, you still have – I mean, you still have Latif Blessing that started his career with the Sporting Kansas City as a forward, but he's been playing the 7-8 and eight spot with LA with the LAFC. Yeah. So, He's been playing the central position a lot more, and he's been playing the right side. But he's also considered a winger too at the same time. So he's gonna—I mean, he's fast-paced too. He's quick. He can make a game-changing game decision at any moment. And I feel—and he can, can score goals at any moment. So I feel feel like he's gonna be a big part of it. I mean, yeah. And then you have Diego Rossi, and then he also wants to put another DP in there, Brian Rodriguez. That he hasn't played too much for LAFC, but he's. But Bob Riley said he's he's actually he wants to see see him actually move forward in his career and actually turn up in this tournament. Yeah, I picked Diego Rossi. If you remember a couple of episodes ago when we previewed this whole tournament, I picked him as my golden boot winner because Carlos Vela would be out there on the on the right hand side and you know Diego Rossi would be, you know, a little bit underlooked. But uh I'm just gonna have to change it <laughs> from Diego Rossi. Um, I don't think he's going to put up as many numbers, but I think Diego Rossi is a flexible enough player once they throw in Brian Rodriguez as well. 
that, you know, they may be able to throw one of those guys out on the right, maybe throw Brian out on the right, and you leave Diego Rossi out on the left where he plays his natural position. They just have to figure out uh, what they want to do with the spot up top, like you said, with Dio coming back from, uh, from being injured. But, you know, they, they, their team is stacked. Uh, like, their, their team is absolutely stacked. Yeah. Um, so I, I honestly don't foresee them having too many issues. They're, they're going to get out of the group. I foresee them making at least a run to the semifinals, to be honest with you, even without Carlos Vela. But without Vela, we're going to lose a lot of entertainment. You know, I forget which week it was in the first or second week of the season. We saw him cut across from the right all the way basically to the left side of the 18 and chip the goalkeeper. Um, so that's, that's what we're going to be losing in Carlos Vela. We're going to be losing the most elite talent in the league. Uh, we're only going to be missing him for a month, but I think with MLS trying to capture the eyes of ESPN and all these viewers on all these different time slots, would have been really, really nice to have Carlos Vela out there on that pitch for him. 100%. Yeah. I, Pupis was talking about it in the beginning, and I almost thought, I almost thought, that he was going to do his whole spiel and not mention Diego Rossi. <laughs> I thought he was going to do it. I was you thought, but I did. I got I was, you there. I was waiting for it. Like, he, was so, he was so hung up on Dio and, and, and Rodriguez and B, BWP. But for me, the two guys that stand out the most right now are going to be Diego Rossi uh, and, and Latif. Because yep. you watch it. I remember you know, watching last year, Latif was all over the place all over the place. The guy gets forward, he gets back, he works his ass off. Diego Rossi is such a, I mean, I hate to say supplement, but he, he's, he's a great addition to Vela. And I, I've, I've said it prior, earlier in the podcast, that when people are missing, somebody's got to step up. And I think that, like you said, Blake, this team's stacked. I would love to see Diego Rossi and Latif Blessing have just the tournament of their lives. Additionally, I would really like to see, you know, obviously he's coming off of injury and he's probably not going to get a whole lot of playing time, but BWP, I'd love to see. I mean, when he gets in around that 18-yard box, the guy's lethal. He's an absolute force to be reckoned with, and I really am excited to see what they bring to the table. And like Bob Bradley said, like, he depends on Latif Blessing in the midfield other than up top. Like last year, you played in 34 games. And he had six goals and six assists. So he does, he does work for LAFC in the midfield. The majority of this conversation about LAFC has been surrounding their more attacking players. And I think that is a testament to Bob Bradley and the coaching staff and the, the management staff that's brought these players in. But there are two players that play right in the central of the midfield that absolutely lock that team down. Edward Atuesta and Mark Anthony Kay. They are one of the best midfield duos in the MLS. And, you know, despite what you put in front of them attacking-wise, you know, them plus the defense behind them, they're one of the most well-balanced teams in the league. And Atuesta and Mark Anthony Kay provide that balance with their shape in the midfield. Additionally, they did just add Andy Nahar, um, as a right wing back who could possibly play right winger if they need him to. Um, he's kind of an attacking right wing back. So if they need a right winger, Andy Nahar could be their guy. Uh, it's a good addition right before the tournament. I believe he is active for the tournament. 
believe he meets that criteria. I mean, and then, I mean, it just goes back to like having a co- legend, legendary coach like Bob Bradley. Like you can't, I mean, you can't beat that. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to work the system. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, a lot of this success in the tournament will come down to the coach that you have, um, and how you manage your players and how you manage, you know, your substitutions. We said a couple podcasts ago there are five subs now but you only have three times throughout the game not including halftime that you can make these substitutions so coaching is a you know big part of you know winning and being successful in this tournament that's coaching and that's attacking we've talked about Jonathan Dos Santos he's not necessarily an attacking player but he supplements the attack for the LA Galaxy we talked about Carlos Vela he is the most lethal attacker in the MLS. Earlier in the podcast, when we were previewing the Inter-Miami and Orlando game, we talked about Robbie Robinson, the first overall pick in the MLS draft that plays for Inter-Miami. We haven't talked about a defender yet. Notably, for Minnesota United FC, Ike Opara is not playing because of a pre-existing health condition or some kind of injury. Um, he scored two goals, I believe, in his first two games. He is the most influential, most important part of this Minnesota United team's defense. And what is regard, regarded to be the group of death? What do you guys make of Icopar not being there? Devastating. Absolutely devastating. Part of that team's whole being is based on defense. It's based on their back line. Having Ike Opara, who is arguably one of the best, you know, defensive players in the league at right now, absent, it's it's going to be traumatic. They're going to have to make some big adjustments, and we'll see. You know, they could they could plug players in, or they could switch their format or or formation to you know a, th- a three man back, but we'll see. I, I just think it's 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 going to be a challenge for them, but hopefully they can they can come out with a strategy and, and with, with some toxic tactics that will, that will help them move forward. Yeah. And I don't think anybody in that group is going to all us with goals. You know, they're not going to, you know, put up buckets. Um, it's going to be a very well-balanced group. It's going to be a more defensive group. Um, there, you know, like I said, there's not going to be a ton of goals. So, as as long as they can tweak their formation a little bit and, you know, maybe, you know, drop another midfielder into a more defensive role or something. Uh, but it, it is a big – it bursts – hold on for me now. It bursts Minnesota United FC's bubble with Ike Opara. Not a uh, – aha. Uh, not, 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 not being in their lineup. Uh, it's, it's a big loss. Um, you know, I, Mike D, you touched on it a little bit before the calls. There's rumors that he may come back if they make it through to the knockout rounds. I don't know exactly, excuse me, how that would how that would work. I don't know if Don Garp and the MLS is allowing players to come, you know, not re-enter, but come, you know, join the tournament late. I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how that, that's going to work. I don't know if that's going to be possible, but huge loss for Minnesota. Uh, hopefully they can, you know, fill that hole and put some goals, put some goals, you know, put some goals away and get through that, that, uh, that group. 
Yep, it's definitely going to be a tough one. It's going to be a fun one to watch for sure. Definitely, that's for sure. That's for sure, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah shout out to Ja'Cory Hayes. Hopefully, Ja'Cory can, you know, lock down that midfield and, you know, bring that team some dubs in the tournament, man. We'll be cheering for him. All right, guys. Well, I, I'm looking at my notes right now, and it looks like we've hit everything that I've got on my notes. Do you guys have anything else additionally that you want to add? Delaney, right off the bat. Who do you think is going to be the golden boot winner of this? Since, you know, past podcast, mm. you, were, you, you know, you weren't available for our uh, golden boot winner. You're going to put me on the spot, Poopus. Hey, might as well. Listen, I'm just going to go with a hot take, and this is just a very quick hot take. It was the first thing that came to mind. Seattle Sounders FC. If I remember correctly. Is it Jordan Morris? Jordan Morris scored a hat trick. <laughs> was it in the final? Or was it, was it the Western Conference final? He, he scored a hat trick. I'm pretty sure in, in the MLS, the, uh, the MLS Cup. I mean, I'm that man always comes off the bench and scores goals. He's, so. been, he's been for me somebody that I've always enjoyed watching. When he scores goals, he scores goals. And when he doesn't, he doesn't. But I really hope that he can come in and bang some Gs. And I'm going to go with Jordan Morris of the Seattle Sounders FC. Okay, or oh, you say that. Now, who do you think is going to win the whole tournament? Uh, I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with LAFC. Okay. I think they're so dominant. Right. I think they're so dominant. I think even with the loss of Carlos Vela, it's, it's not really going to make a difference for them. And they got something to prove after losing the Western Conference final. I like that. I like that. You, you know, you didn't take the same team as me. I got Seattle Sounders. But, uh, you know, I think L.A. is a good pick as well. Oh, just, you know, a little bit. just a little bit. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little bit. You know, I, I just had this thought. A player that I would really like to see play in this tournament that's no longer in this league. Shalry Joseph. Also him, but Miguel Almiron. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They got, uh, yeah. Oh, I mean – Oh, that man ain't coming back. That man is killing with Newcastle. I, I mean, obviously, I'm saying hypothetically speaking, if I were to want to watch a player in a tournament of this style, it would be Maggie. Absolutely. The guy had wheels like no other. Just scored his eighth goal of the season for Newcastle the other day. I love that. I love that. You know, we when he started over there, he didn't really start out so great. And I think that's just kind of a trend with, with players that come from the MLS or come from American soccer. I mean, Pulisic cool. on a tear right now on an absolute tear. start. Didn't start out so great, but as of late, the kid is on a tear. Miggy started out a little bit, you know, soft and is starting to make a, a little bit of a name for himself. So I'm excited to see it. And yes, I would love to see him. Obviously Joseph Martinez is out with a, with an ACL injury, but I would love to see that duo back together. That was some great soccer. Yeah, and I think that just comes down to an adjustment period, going from a league like the MLS to, you know, the big bad EPL. It's just a, it, it's an adjustment period. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, boys, I think that's all I got. You guys have any closing thoughts before we, you know, close this thing out? No, nah, you know. Pumped as hell for this tournament to start up tomorrow. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's sad we only get one game tomorrow other than two, like we were supposed to at first. But, you know, I'll take it. So, I'm just excited to see the MLS back in action. 
and Inter Miami to fucking destroy some shit against Orlando. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm super excited as well. Obviously, we touched on some some topics here that were leaning a little bit more towards skeptic or skepticism. That's the right word, and that's kind of just our our job here to 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 bring to light some of those ideas and some of those thoughts when we're talking about such a sensitive time. So, although I have my thoughts and feelings and other players and, and other people out there in the world have their thoughts and feelings about the MLS coming back in this capacity and, and on this stage, I'm super, super excited that the MLS is coming back and cannot wait to see how this tournament ends up. MLS is back, baby. 8 p.m. What is it, 2 p.m. Hawaii time tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, something like that. All my beer ready. That's all I have to say. Yeah, so 8 p.m. Eastern time, 2 p.m. Hawaii time. Uh, we're all going to be locked in for Inter-Miami, Orlando. It's going to be the first game of the Florida Derby. We're really excited for it. I predicted a 4-2 win. Poopus, what did you predict? 3-1, Inter-Miami. Mike D? That was also mine. 2-1. All right, so I'm predicting a goal fest. The other boys are predicting a closer game. Anyways, we'll all be locked in. Uh, you guys tune in throughout the next month to ESPN um, and whatever networks MLS is going to be having games on. Uh, we'll be posting any kind of updates. There's going to be updates as this tournament goes with, um, you know, hopefully there are positive headlines. But, you know, you know, we'll keep you guys posted. You guys, you know, keep a watch out for everything going on. Anyways, thank you guys for listening to the very first episode of season two of MLS Gone Wild. Uh, like we said at the very beginning of the podcast, we want to thank all of our listeners. Um, you know, we interviewed some really great guests in our first season, so please go check us out on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, anywhere you guys listen to podcasts. If you do happen to listen on Apple, subscribe, rate, and review for us. That's going to help us out big time to get our information, our name out there. Anyways, guys, soccer's back. Enjoy it. Crack a white claw, crack a beer, crack whatever you got. MLS gone wild, week one, season two. We're out of here. Catch you later. Peace.